You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio. We're being joined today by our good friend, Reds broadcaster, Chris Welsh. Chris, thanks for being with us today. How you doing? I'm doing great. You know, how can I not be doing great? The Reds are eight games up. They're on a roll. We're headed into St. Louis in a, a series that uh, looks like it'll be more fun than pressure, and uh, all is good. That's my first question. How much fun are you having, Chris? More fun than I've had in a long time, I can tell you that. You know, uh, this ball club's played well. You know, for 10 years in a row, we've had losing seasons, and finally things have come together in kind of a, a perfect storm fashion to make it really a lot of fun. Is, is covering the team as much fun for the media guys it, it, when they're winning as it is for the fans? Yes, absolutely the answer is yes. Because, you know, when they're losing, you can take one of two sides. You can look at the half-empty you know, half glass or the half-full glass, and eventually you get beat down. No matter what, you say, well, uh, you know, why is this manager doing this? Why is this player doing this? Uh, and you begin to, to just lose... I guess lose interest because you're tired of being a spoiler. But when you're winning, uh, you're waiting for that magic moment in every ball game. You're waiting for the come from behind win. And in this particular year, you're waiting for a new star every night, uh, you know, other than Joey Votto uh, or Scott Rowland or one of the main guys. But I mean, it's been such a fun year this year that it's, it's a lot more fun, obviously, when you win than lose. How surprised are you at how well this team's played, Chris? Well, if you go back to my comments coming out of spring training, uh, I, I almost went to the point of saying if this team doesn't win, there's a problem. I really thought that they would be good. Now, I didn't think that they'd be eight games up in you know September 1st. Uh, don't get me wrong. But I thought that they would be right in the hunt right through the end of the season. Uh, I thought that the pitching would be good. I thought the bullpen would be excellent. I really felt that if Scott Rowland stayed healthy, and that was a big key for me, uh, that this ball club could contend. Uh, they far exceeded even my expectations. At this point, Chris, how confident are you that they'll make the playoffs? 99. Uh, what's, what's a bar so but I read bar so? <clears throat> 99, 99 and 77 yeah. hundredths or whatever it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 44 one hundredths. I'm, I'm right there on it. Is, is is there a key for this team to continue to play well down the stretch? Starting pitching. It's, what's got, it's got the team where it is so far. Yes, there have been all sorts of heroics, you know, late game heroics, last inning, walk-off wins, and things like that, but it's been starting pitching that has protected the bullpen, and if you can protect your bullpen, you've got a chance to win ballgames late, and that's exactly what's happened, and that's the key from here on out, and quite frankly, that's the biggest question mark as well. Does, does, does that key change when they get into the playoffs? Uh, absolutely. Uh, no, no, I mean, it doesn't change at all, but it just becomes more emphasized. But only to the point where you don't need starters really to go deep into a ball game in the playoffs because you're going to use everybody all day. There's no tomorrow on certain times in the playoffs. So it's not like you've got to take your relief pitchers for the series coming up in, in, in Los Angeles next week. You've got to play, win this ball game today. So what you really want is six zeros out of your starter and then be able to get them out of there. You really don't need seven or eight innings out of a guy. It's great if you get it. But uh, they all like the thing with this particular staff. You're not going to get it, get it. Chris, tell us what you think the, the biggest strengths and weaknesses of this team are. Well, the biggest strengths, I think, are 
the contributions of the young players, uh, guys who've come up and not expected to really do what they could do, and they did. Uh, Mike Leach, um, Travis Wood, you know, Chris Heisey. Um, and finally, you're looking at Jay Bruce. I think Jay and Bruce, you know, Stubbs and so on. I mean, it's a contribution of the young players and what Scott Rowland has brought to the ball club, and obviously Joey Votto. But I think that but what Rowland has done is called down Votto. Uh, he's helped Brandon Phillips immensely. I think Orlando Cabrera has helped that as well. But I think it's a blend of youth and experience together that has made this ball club what it is. What do you see as the as the biggest weakness that, that we've got to worry about going into the late late in the season in the playoffs? Uh, that they don't have any number one starter, and they really don't have a number two starter. Uh, maybe you could categorize Johnny Cueto as a number two, but if you're looking in Philadelphia, he would be a number four. Uh, so uh, I've got to figure that they don't have a number one or two starter in this ball club that they can hand the ball to and say, go out and win this ball game. Go out and match up head to head with. Uh, Roy Halladay or Matt Latos or Tim Lincecum or whoever else is in the playoffs. That's the biggest problem that they, they have right here. They're going to need someone that's really overachieved as a starting pitcher in the playoffs in order to go deep into those playoffs. I mean, a lot of our, our starters are young. The Baileys, the, the Cuetos, the Volquez's. Are, are these guys, and I know Bailey's been talked about, are these guys uh, capable of being number ones? You know what? <clears throat> when you talk about a number one pitcher, how many number ones do you think that there are in the National League, Bill? Just give me an idea. Give me a hand. Give me a number. I would say six, maybe seven. Okay. Well, then the answer is there are 16 teams in the National League, and you're not even saying half of them have an ace. Yeah. So, and then maybe there's some ball club, like the Philadelphia Phillies, that may have two or even three, uh, if you look at Cole Hamels as that. Uh, Cole Hamels would be on this team probably the ace of his staff. And he's the number three guy with the Phillies. So that that is the that's the biggest question mark is is the, and my worrisome spot is what the deal is with the starting pitching. Again, they're going to have to go out and have a magical series, just like they did, you know, this last series against Milwaukee or the previous series, uh, where they win from behind, they make some great defensive plays, they get some clutch hitting, uh, but don't expect your Bronson Arroyo or Johnny Cueto or, as you said, Bailey or Wood or anybody else to go out there and look like Roy Halladay because chances are that's not going to happen. <clears throat> Let's talk about Joey Votto for a minute. How does his season this year stack up to other offensive seasons you've seen from Reds players? Tremendous. Uh, much better than anybody I've seen since, I don't know, I, I thought Barry Larkin had a tremendous year, his, day, his year of uh, the MVP. Um I thought Reggie Sanders had a great first half in 1995. Um, but as far as taking it from the beginning right to the very end, Joey Bottom's been the best I've seen. Yeah, there was a, there was a sidebar article, or a sidebar to John Arardi's article in the Enquirer the other day, and, and, and looking at OPS Plus, and right now Joey's sitting third, I think it was, in the list to the two seasons from Morgan, uh, or at least the one season from Morgan. And, and that's pretty high, high, high praise. It, it is, you know, but again, you're, you're, you're almost, you, you can't really compare that, that generation of, of baseball player, Joe Morgan, with what's going on right now. Because I think they faced better competition back in those days. I think it was harder to hit home runs, uh, way harder to hit home runs when you compare the ballparks. Uh, so I think as good a year as Joey Votto is having, 
and uh, I think he's capable of this type of a year um, several times in his career. Uh, but I wouldn't quite yet put him in the category of Joe Morgan. Uh, no, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> Now, now, Joey's only 26, getting ready to turn 27 in a couple of days. In his three years, his numbers have increased. How much better do you think he can get? <clears throat> well, you know what I really like about Joey Bono is he, he's really ultra-competitive, and he's got kind of a mean streak in him. And that mean streak comes out in competitiveness against the pitcher. I really believe, when I look at Joey Bono in the batter's box, that this guy is staring down the pitcher saying, it is you and me. And he almost takes it personally. I mean, have you seen the guy ever make it out and then walk away from home plate, kind of staring at the pitcher, saying, okay, you got me this time. I'll get you next time. Uh, he did it big time when he faced a, a reliever out in San Francisco last week named Santiago Casilla. Casilla struck him out on a real good curveball. Uh, it was right after the series that Joey Bono hit that base hit against Jonathan Broxton in a 10-pitch at bat to win the ball game. But this time, Casilla dropped the curveball on him. Bono was looking, and he got pissed off big time. And I think that's one reason why I think Joey Bono can be this good almost every year, of course, as long as he stays healthy. If you had a vote, is he the MVP? He's my MVP, I can tell you that right now, although I can tell you that Albert Poulos had one heck of a month of uh, August. Uh, it was up to me, or well, I'm one of the voters this year, this month for one reason or another, uh, to vote on the player of the month, and I put down Poulos based on what he did in August, because as good as Bono was, Pujols was better. Now, if Pujols had the better uh, month in September, i got to go with him. Uh, but if it's anywhere close, I'm going to give the nod to Joey Votto, uh, because, number one, uh, he's playing for a ball club that's done so well this year, and he's overcome a lot of adversity in the process. I, I want to talk about the last St. Louis series, the one in Cincinnati <laughs> for a minute. Tell me your thoughts on, on Brandon Phillips' comments that, that triggered, their whole, triggered the whole mess. You know, Brandon likes to chirp. He likes to talk. He probably didn't mean anything by it. The situation was he's, either they were standing around his, his uh, locker, Jim Day <clears throat> and Al McCoy, and, Brandon, and they're waiting for the interview to begin. I think they're waiting for a couple of the other writers to show up so Brandon wouldn't have to repeat himself. And... You know, there was some conversation back and forth between Hal McCoy and Brandon, and then Brandon looked out, I hate St. Louis. They're all a bunch of whiny little bitches, and so on and so forth. And Hal asked him, can I write that? You know, me being that off the record, right? He said, nah, I, I hate him. So he went with it, and I thought that Brandon probably showed a lot of indiscretion, because if you're going to talk the talk, you better sure walk the walk, because you're, what you're doing is you're enlisting your entire ball club behind you and they didn't sign up for that they want to go in there and play it's a lot easier to beat a team when you're flying under the radar than when they've got you in the scopes and when you're facing carpenter and garcia and wainwright three games in a row those guys have owned the reds and they have particularly owned brandon phillips that should have kept his trap shut do you think the comments had any effect on how bad the reds played in those three games i do i think that they felt a lot of pressure I felt that uh, they were distracted. I think the melee on the second night completely distracted their ball club. Uh, but I also think that it really wouldn't have made any difference. Uh, that uh, I still believe that if the Reds and the, and the Cardinals face each other in a playoff, um, when all things are equal, there's no eight-game spread between them like there is going to be this weekend, that the Cardinals, you have to give an edge just because they've got two pitchers, maybe three, 
that are better than anybody on the Reds ball club. Do you do you think the fact they played that bad in that series has any effect on uh, on how they go into this series this weekend? I think so. I think that and the fact that they've really uh, proven in themselves that they are a good ball club, that they are playing together as a team, that they believe in each other, uh, that they expect to win rather than hope to win. And I think in that series against the Cardinals that they were hoping to win, not expecting to win. And I think that was a big difference. All the pressure on St. Louis this weekend? Well, the pressure's on them not only this weekend, but every day they play from here on out. I think they're going to end up playing close to 31 games in a row. Um, you know, they're five games out of the wild card. They've got to forget about the Central Division, forget about whatever personal feud they have with the Reds, forget about, you know, Brandon Phillips, uh, forget about Johnny Cueto and anything, everything else. Uh, they need to start getting down to business or else they're going to see a Colorado team pass them by, uh, and they're going to have a hard time getting into the wild card because there's several teams ahead of them. Let's talk about shortstop for a minute. Paul Giannis has done a heck of a job in, 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 since Cabrera's been hurt. I think he's been better offensively than anybody expected. And, and before the injury, before the injury, he got very little playing time. Do you think that's going to change at all when Cabrera comes back? No, I think he's going to go back to being uh, uh, back on the bench. Uh, I think Dusty Baker has already alluded to it. If he hasn't said it directly, you can read between the lines of some of his interviews that he loves Cabrera, and Cabrera's got him where they are. And then when Cabrera's ready to go back, he's going to go back in the lineup immediately, and I expect that to be this weekend against the Cardinals. What is what does Dusty see? I mean, a lot of us fans and, and, and the stats guys don't understand that. Tell us what Dusty sees about Cabrera that we don't see. Well, Dusty, as you guys know, even stats guys know managers' tendencies, and Dusty's always been a guy that has favored the veteran player over the younger player. And I think that he likes the... Uh, the game presence that Orlando Cabrera gives you. He likes the fact that you can put Matt Cabrera in the, towards the top of the lineup. Uh, I think he, he realizes, like everybody else, that there's no comparison defensively, although Cabrera's had a pretty good year defensively. He doesn't get as many balls as, as uh, Paul Giannis, but the balls that he's gotten to, he's made some pretty good plays on, and he's played very good. So I think that overall, he just likes the veteranship, if that's a word, and does not will make one up. And he likes that about Cabrera, and he doesn't want to change the karma. Dusty Baker is huge on karma, and believe me, this team's got a bunch of it right now. Would you? Do you think this is this the situation kind of the same in left field where Gomes had the great May and, and has dropped off, you know, since, and and Heisey seems to be playing fairly well at times and, and fights for for uh, playing time. Is it the same situation? <laughs> I don't think there's any question about it, Bill. I think that, that what you see is that, well, uh, you've got a guy with Chris Heisey that has tremendous upside. Uh, he's a young guy. He hasn't already established his playing plateau in the major leagues as Johnny Gomes has. But Johnny Gomes is Johnny Gomes. I mean, this ball club is where they are because Johnny, one of the reasons is Johnny Gomes has been playing every day this year. So he doesn't want to upset the energy of the team by benching somebody and then have the energy turn negative on him because of that. So he, he'd almost rather put a guy in there who's not doing well because he doesn't want to change the energy or the karma of the ball club. That's the way he manages, and he's a three-time uh, uh, manager of the year. So and he's got this team eight games up, so who am I to argue about that? Jay Bruce caught fire and then has been out the last two days with, with a sore side uh, any chance that he got hurt in the, on the on-field celebration the other night? Uh, 
You know what? I don't think so. I uh, We looked at that tape and specifically looking for something like that, Bill. And I saw him take batting practice uh, the, on the day that he was scratched from the lineup there. Uh, so I don't think there's anything to it, really. I think he may have heard it some other way. I'm not talking to him about that. Uh, but there's no way to wherever. You know, if he did hurt it in the celebration, we will never know it, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, Coco Cordero seems to have regained his control. Any thoughts as to, as to what was done and how it was fixed? Well, from what I understand, uh, Brian Price, uh, you know, has been studying tape of Cordero all year long because he's never really been all that sharp. Uh, but he still didn't throw the ball very hard. And his explanation uh, to the media was that Cordero, when he got to his balance point, that's the point at which you lift your lift leg to the very highest spot before you begin to go down and then go to the plate that his weight was on his heel rather than on the ball of his feet. And that makes you very unathletic. It uh, doesn't give you very good point control of where you land with your left leg as a right-handed pitcher. And I think that that's what they, they address mechanically. Uh, Cordero couldn't figure it out either. And sometimes, you know, it's just a little slight adjustment like that uh, that kind of brings everything back together. Uh, I suspect that was part of it, to be honest with you. Aaron Harang returned to the mound after about two months on the DL. What were your thoughts of his start the other night? Well, he was pretty unimpressive, really. Uh, he had a decent fastball. He always has good control. His fastball is, is straighter than uh, Aaron uh, than, than Homer Bailey's fastball, uh, which means he's got to spot it up exactly where he wants to. Uh, but the problem with Harang was he never really got a good breaking ball going. And from what the scouts had told me, who saw him pitch on his rehab, same thing down there. Good fastball, good control, rolling breaking ball. And uh, the Aaron Horan used to punch out a lot of batters and really had a good earned run average, won 16 games in a row. His slider was his key. Not his changeup, his control and his slider. And uh, he has yet to regain that. Yeah, you were talking on the broadcast the other night about how he wasn't finishing <laughs> over the top. Is that, a, is that a strength or a, a thing, or is it just a mechanical thing that he needs to correct? It, it's a it's a little bit of both, Bill. It's it's not the kind of strength issue that you can you can fix in the weight room. It's a kind of strength issue that you get when you're playing catch and the ball comes out of your hand and it's effortless and all of a sudden it's in the other guy's glove. And um, when you throw your breaking ball, you have to do the same thing. I mean, uh, breaking pitches are spin pitches; they're not necessarily speed pitches. But in order to get good spin on the ball, you have to have as much or better arm speed on a breaking ball than you do on a fastball. So I think that that's a big key for Aaron Harang is to make sure that he finishes that pitch, gets way out over his left knee, and pulls it down at the very end. If you get lazy with it at all, or if you look up to see where it goes before you finish it, you're, you're not going to finish it out. You know, the saying I always give the kids when they're learning how to throw curveballs, uh, and I teach a lot of kids in the wintertime, and I say, if for a right-handed pitcher, that curveball begins behind your right ear and it finishes on the outside of your left knee. So unless you really bend your back and get your hand on the outside of your left knee as you finish or follow through, you're going to leave it hanging. And I think that's what I see Aaron Harang doing more than not. How do you how do you anticipate the Reds using him over the next month? <clears throat> it's a good question. I think it's up to him. I, I, I kind of feel that it's going to be a pitch-off between... Aaron Harang, Homer Bailey, and Edinson Volquez to see who makes the the, uh, the roster and who's in the rotation come playoff time. 
There was another addition to the roster this week. I think the kid's name is Chapman. You think he's got a future? Uh, I don't know yet. i got to see him a few more times. <laughs> How excited were you about him coming in the ballgame the other night? It, it, it was just it was electric. I mean, it was so cool. I mean, my only regret was that there were only, you know, 14,009 there to see him. But uh, it was really cool. Um, the guy is explosive. He looks better now than he did in spring training. And I thought he should have made the ball club coming out of spring training. But, uh, you know, it, it, this is a difference maker. Not just this year or this month or, or during the playoffs, but it's a difference maker hopefully for many, many years. Uh, he's the fastest thrower in the world, and he's in a red uniform. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's very exciting. How, how do you expect to see Dusty using between now and the playoffs? Well, I think he's going to use him in more and more pressure situations. He told me that he was going to ease him in real slow, get him into a big margin ball game, get him into another big margin ball game, maybe use him for an inning and a third, inning and two thirds, kind of see what he, how, he, how he adapts to a couple of innings in a row, back-to-back nights. But I think that Chapman continues to be out of this world the way he is right now, that Dusty Baker will have no choice but to use him as the, number, as the seventh hole. Uh, seventh inning, that is, uh, in front of Nick Massett, uh, along with Bill Bray and Joe Arthur Rhodes is available again, uh, and that'll be that'll be very interesting. But I think he'll probably be the seventh inning pitcher. The most interesting thing that I see happening is that Francisco Cordero blows a couple of saves down the stretch, and you got thirty thousand people at Great American Ballpark yelling Chapman. Uh, that will be kind of an interesting uh, uh, predicament that the Reds will find themselves in, and it could happen. How concerned are you about Arthur Rhodes right now? Well, concerned, no question about it. I mean, the guy is a warrior, and he's not letting on how bad that foot hurts him. But I can tell you it's hurt him a lot. And uh, he can hardly walk. If you remember, I guess it was this weekend, Yeah. he, uh, he covered the first base on a ball, and he walked all the way down to the tarp before he finally turned around and walked back to the mound. And it looked like it took everything he had just to get back up on the mound again. If you've ever had plantar fasciitis, uh, it's very, very painful. Uh, you can't walk. You don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, it's, there's no way you can rest. I think it's routing him of his sleep. Uh, he's hurting. Uh, but I think if they can rest him for a week or so uh, without letting him do anything, uh, that there's a good chance that he's going to be coming back and he'll be okay. Hey, you only need him for another couple sports, short spurts here and there. And of course, with the emergence of Chapman, the you know he his his anchor in in that bullpen is not as large anymore. Because if you've got a if you've got a choice, I mean, come on, let's be realistic here. If you've got a choice between Arthur Rose and, and a roll of Chapman, and Chapman continues to throw seven out of ten balls over the plate for strikes. Are you going to tell me you're going to go to Arthur Rhodes? I don't care how good he's been this year. It's almost, what have you done for me lately? And Chapman has been untouchable, and Arthur Rhodes has been touched up, and i got to go with Chapman. Uh, because if you lose a ball game, uh, you know, when you've got a left-handed reliever in there, and his name is not Aroldis Chapman uh, in the playoffs, you may have a problem on your hands. You may have a perception problem, especially with the fans, saying, why did you spend $30 million on a kid and bring in a 40-year-old instead? 
You 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 touched on this earlier, but and it was something that I wanted to talk about. Look, and that was the job that, the job that the, the kids have done this year. Guys like like Leek and Wood and Andrusic and Lacure, Jordan Smith coming up from Double A, Heisey, Valeka, and many of these guys weren't even in the discussion during spring training. What does it say about the depth of this team and, and, and the job these kids have done when they've come up? Well, you know what, in, in, in past years, what you would have seen was, uh, we're breaking, I uh, lost him. I'm going to call Chris back and we'll start back in a minute. As, uh, we, were about the young, we were talking about the young players. Yes, we were. Right. And we got cut off there, and Chris is back with us now. Uh, we were talking about these young guys, uh, Chris, and, and, and a lot of them weren't even considered for making the team during spring training, and, and they've come up and helped this team win ball games and done a heck of a job for us. Yeah, you know, it just goes to show you what happens when you plug some holes and you have some consistency year after year. So instead of rushing a player up out of the minor leagues, you've got Scott Rowland there for a couple of years. And instead of rushing Giannis in, and Giannis would have been fine, I think, had there been an adequate backup down in the minor leagues that could actually back up and play shortstop in case he was injured for a long period of time. But there was no backup, so they had to go with Cabrera. So now, all of a sudden, you start backing guys up a few years, and you can let the really good talent begin to learn how to play ball. And this has been an exceptional group of young players coming up. They drafted very well. Uh, it seemingly, as soon as they got Jim Bowden out of the GM spot, they started drafting a whole lot better. But this is one of those perfect storms of goodness uh, because all the work that Dan O'Brien did and Wayne Christie did and the good people that they hired in the front office uh, are beginning to pay dividends. I mean, this is a pipeline chock full of players, uh, and it really has nothing to do with Walt Jockety. Uh, he just happens to be here. Now, he's done a great job at the major league level. And we hope that he's drafted well the last couple of years. Obviously, he drafted well with Mike Leake. But uh, I, I think that, you know, the whole thing is cyclical. And uh, we never were going to see the peak under Jim Bowden regime because he was always signing, you know, sixth-round kids in the first round because they were cheap enough to sign because he wanted to save his money for major league wheeling. And uh, you don't see that anymore. And I think that's why this ball club is where it is. Yeah, the, the future seems to be very bright right now, and I know it's early to, to think about to think about this right now. But this team's going to have some very difficult roster decisions to make over the off season. Hey, you know what? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Instead of going out and signing uh, you know, a Jimmy Haynes type of a pitcher, uh, I mean, this guy wouldn't even make your ball club right now. Uh, this is a it, it's a great problem to have. And what you can do is if you really are smart about it, I mean, you can take some of these players and, and maybe trade them for a position player uh, that you need to plug a hole with. Uh, or, you know, you identify the, the needs on your ball club. Uh, they're dealing from a position of strength uh, totally next year. And uh, it, it's really going to be great. Chris, is Dusty Baker getting enough credit for how well this team's played? Well, did he get enough uh, credit for the last two years of how the team played then? Uh, and that, that sounds like a negative comment, but it's really not. I don't think he's getting enough credit for this year. Um, uh, you know, on the field and as a strategist, Dusty Baker hasn't changed. He hasn't changed since he was in the, uh, San Francisco. He hasn't changed since he was in Chicago. And by no means would anybody who follows the game call him one of the better strategists uh, in the game. But the guy excels in other areas. He 
really excels in the interpersonal relationships that he has with his players. And that shows in his ball club. His faith in guys like Johnny Gomes and Orlando Cabrera uh, makes the team come together uh, a lot more than if he were just to manage his ball club according to the numbers. And I think that he does not get credit for that this year. Uh, now, that said, the, the Reds have been more pinch hit home runs this year than they have the previous two years combined. So, does he get credit for that? Hey, he didn't hit the home runs. All he did was pencil the guy in the lineup. He's been given a whole lot better team this year than he had last year or the year before. His young players are more ready this year, and the veterans are healthy. Uh, so that's the biggest difference. But bottom line is, he should tell you the same thing. It's about the players. And he'll also say that it is a little bit about Dusty Baker because Dusty wants to come back here and he wants to be, continue to be paid uh, the kind of rate that he's being paid here. Uh, but I think that uh, somewhere in between. He's not getting quite enough, but he's also not getting as much blame as he did for the previous two years as maybe he should have taken You mentioned Dusty wanting to come back, and, and you know we all know that there's been an extension offered. And from everything from everything that we've read, the, the you know it, the whole thing was brought up by management. Why would they do that in the middle of a pennant race? Well, uh, what do you mean? Why would they offer him a contract in the middle of a pennant race? Well, why would you even talk about a future contract in the middle of a pennant race? It just seems to be a distraction well, to me. Well, you know what we don't know, Bill, is what really is going on behind the scenes. We really don't know. Uh, how much Dusty Baker, if at all, had been politicking for an extension. Uh, he may have peppered his agents to get a hold of Bob Castellini and say, hey, you know, we're in first place here in August for the first time in, you know, X number of years. You know, are you going to extend me or not? Uh, so, you know, Bob Castellini is one of these guys who's he's got an eye on the, on the public relations end of it. And I think that he may have begun to negotiate and said, uh, hey, it's Walt Jockety, why don't you go, you know, start to, take, start to address this problem uh, or this issue. So we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't, and I, I doubt if you guys do. Uh, but uh, I, I would always, if I was running a ball club, I would always wait until the end of the year to do these kind of things. They're doing the same thing in, in uh, St. Louis. They're doing the same thing with Joe Girardi in New York. Why should Cincinnati be any different? Okay, Chris, let's play what if, what if for a minute. The Reds are in the playoffs. The playoffs are starting tonight. Who's the Reds' opening game starter? Boston Arroyo. Do you think, do you think he would perf- – tell me why. <laughs> well, because uh, who's your other choice? Uh, Johnny Quaid or Travis Wood? Uh, Aaron Hurricane? Probably not. Um, Arroyo has been throwing the ball pretty good here in the second half of the year. Um, and I think that he would be most likely to handle the pressure. That's where uh, I was I hate to see it. I hate to see Johnny Cueto go out there and feel the weight of the world on him, and, and he feel like he has to throw 100 miles an hour to get guys out. Uh, I think Arroyo uh, could spin the ball up there and maybe give the Reds a good six or seven innings, and um, uh, that, not only that, but also set the other team's timing off a little bit, and maybe Cueto, who would be my second game starter, uh, could sneak up on him the next night. Do you think, and we've talked about this on the blog a number of times, do you think Bronson Arroyo doesn't get enough credit for being as tough as he appears to be because of the look and the guitar playing and all those things? Yeah, I've said the same thing many times on the air, that he's got that rock and roll image 
and people don't people expect they, they think he's out partying until three in the morning every night, including the night before he pitches. Believe me, he does it. This guy works his butt off in the weight room. He works out. He takes the side session seriously. Uh, he wants to win as badly as anybody out there. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for that. Um, and he's learned how to pitch. I mean, the guy is a, is a consummate pitcher, and uh, I happen to like that kind of thing. Well, yeah, John Fay did a really good article, I thought, earlier in the season, just talking about how he prepares and how, what his mental aspect is and, and the way he looks at things when he's on the mound. And I thought it was a real eye-opener about how Bronson prepares and, and handles pitching. You know, it really was. It was a good article. And I think the other thing that goes along with that is that he and Ryan Hannigan have a very good relationship. I don't think you can ever overestimate uh, how important it is to have a catcher back there that a pitcher has confidence in and that a catcher really calls a game uh, exceedingly well. And I think Hannigan uh, is exceptional in that, in that regard. He's a heck of a story, isn't he? An undrafted kid that kind of fought his way up through the system. Nobody ever talked about him. He didn't get any pub. And here he is being a pretty darn good starter on a major league first place team. You know what? Mamas don't let your children grow up to be cowboys making catchers. <laughs> uh, because, because if you can learn how to catch and throw, and if you've got some aptitude behind the plate, hey, you know, Courtney Miller's etched himself out a nice major league career. And the guy, I mean, you might be able to hit as well as he can, but it's a position that every ball club is looking for. And every once in a while, you run into a guy like Hannigan uh, that exceeds everybody's expectations. Uh, on top of everything else, the guy really takes it seriously. And uh, I love his work ethic. He took it upon himself over the wintertime last year to kind of change his batting style. He and Brooke Jacoby talked about it over the winter. If you look at him where his hands were all held last year, which are way down around his sternum uh, compared to where they are. I mean, they were high last year. They were very high. He's got them down now in the box, which is right behind his sternum. And uh, he doesn't scoop through the ball anymore. He doesn't carve his bat through the zone. And uh, he's got all of a sudden great power. He had a second-deck home run last night, a three-run bomb to win the ball game. And the uh, guy deserves a lot of credit. He really does. Okay, Chris, do you, do you think this, this team will make any, any – will there be anybody on the playoff roster that surprises us, do you think? Well, it depends what they decide to do with their pitching staff. Um, and that would be the biggest surprise for me. Uh, I think the guys left off will be the biggest surprise. It could be Bulkheads. It could be Bailey. It could be Harang. I think one of those guys is going to do themselves the playoff roster. Obviously, guys like Fisher are not going to be on the playoff roster. the playoff roster. You don't really know. And we just lost Chris again. All right, let's call that a wrap. Uh, this is Chad Dotson, your regular host. Thanks a lot to, to Bill Lack for handling this week's uh, talk with our old buddy, friend of the podcast, Chris Welsh. I think you'll agree, very entertaining, interesting interview. We're all excited about uh, the upcoming week, the upcoming month, seeing where we all uh, are at the end of September as we push into October. Can, can you believe what's going on with this team? Uh, my excitement's just uh, not felt this in a long time, so enjoy it, Reds fans. And, and like we say all the time at RedLegNation.com, believe. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Uh, go to redlegnation.com slash rnradio. Check out or click the RN radio tab at the top of redlegnation.com for all our episodes of uh, the Red Lake Nation radio podcast. Uh, 
Also, go to iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast and catch every episode as they're released. Uh, as always, appreciate you listening. For Bill Lack and Chris Welsh, this is Chad Dotson saying so long.